1: You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And, of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
2: In the early hours of July 4th, 1954, J. Spencer Hauck slept peacefully alongside his wife, Esther. Hauck
1: was the mayor of Bay Village, an affluent suburb of Cleveland, Ohio on Lake Erie.
2: Spencer's day should have been one full of fireworks and fun by the lake. But at 5.40 a.m., one phone call changed everything.
3: Uh, Hello? Spencer? My God, get over here quick. I think they've killed Marilyn.
4: Spencer? Who was that?
3: Get some clothes on, Esther. We've got to get to Sam Shepard's. I just got one heck of a strange phone call.
2: Spencer and Esther raced over to the Shepard home. Sam was a young neurosurgeon with a young son and a pretty wife named Marilyn. Their life seemed like a picture-perfect American dream.
1: But that morning, the Houks found a nightmare instead. Sam was in the den, sitting in a chair and clutching his neck. He was shirtless, with blood on his pants.
3: Sam, Sam, what the hell's going on? Is that blood on you?
1: It's Marilyn.
5: I, I woke up when she screamed. There was a bushy-haired man who attacked me, so I tried to. I chased him, and Esther, go up and check on Marilyn.
1: This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
2: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our first episode on the murder of Marilyn Shepherd on July 4th, 1954, and the trial of her husband, Sam Shepard, one of the 20th century's most infamous murder cases.
1: If you like the show, we'd appreciate it immensely if you leave a five star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there because a new episode comes out every Tuesday.
2: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network.
4: Oh my God. Spencer, call an ambulance. It's Marilyn. She's in bed and not breathing. And I can't find a pulse. Someone's done something terrible to her. There's blood everywhere!
5: Marilyn... Spencer, I...
3: I tried to stop him.
4: I'm gonna get him some whiskey. Maybe it'll calm him down.
3: No. No, I don't want that. I've gotta think. Sam, we're going to call the police and get your family. But you need to tell me what happened to Marilyn. From the beginning.
2: Despite a privileged upbringing, Marilyn Shepard was no stranger to tragedy.
1: Marilyn was born in Cleveland on April 14, 1923. She was the oldest child of the wealthy, accomplished Thomas S. Reese, who was an inventor and a vice president of a manufacturing company.
2: Tragedy first struck in March of 1929, just a month before Marilyn's sixth birthday. Her mother Dorothy died during childbirth along with Marilyn's baby brother.
1: Marilyn was young but her mother's death gave her a lifelong fear of abandonment and anxiety about childbirth, two factors which would definitely shape her views on marriage and motherhood.
2: After Dorothy's death, Thomas couldn't handle being a grieving widower and a single father. Following his wife's death in 1929, he reached out to Marilyn's aunt and uncle, Bud and Mary Brown.
3: Bud, Mary, I need some time. Could I send Marilyn to live with you? Just until I put the pieces of my life back together, please.
1: Marilyn went to live with Bud and Mary, who raised her for a few years and became closer to her than she ever was with Thomas.
2: A few years later, Thomas remarried and Marilyn moved back home. Her father gave her everything she ever wanted materially, but her years away had created a permanent rift between them. It wasn't
1: until she was a teenager that Marilyn finally found someone to have a true connection with a young man named Samuel Holmes Shepard.
2: Sam was almost a year younger than Marilyn, but it was clear this was a kid who was going places.
1: Sam was the son of Richard Allen Shepard, a prominent doctor who was one of Ohio's most impressive medical pioneers.
2: Shepard was an osteopath, which is different than a doctor with an MD. Osteopaths use a full body holistic approach to healing taking the mind, body, and spirit into account and focusing on preventative care.
1: Both styles are legitimate, but there is sometimes a bit of skepticism between the two tracks about their differing methods.
2: Richard's son, Sam, was smart and athletic, the pride and joy of his school track, basketball, and football teams. He met Marilyn on the basketball court as she watched his junior high team practice.
3: Sam, a real cute girl up in the balcony wants to meet you. You're pulling my
5: leg. Marilyn Reese? Doesn't she hang out with the older crowd? She sure does. Boy, you're lucky. Marilyn? Uh, hi. uh, I'm Sam. It's swell to meet you.
0: Likewise. You sure are a good ball player.
5: Well, I gotta be. Now that I know you're watching.
1: Marilyn was popular and athletic too. She was also an honor student on the student council and an active member of clubs like the Riding Club and the Modern Dance Club.
2: A yearbook described her as the shining light of the corridors. In a way, Sam and Marilyn were mirror images, the high school dream boy and dream girl, drawn to each other's perfection and destined for tragedy.
1: Sam soon joined Maryland at Cleveland Heights High, where he was a noted scholar and athlete, sophomore, junior, and senior class president, and was also known as a great DJ at school dances. Things got serious at a dance hosted by a Maryland sorority.
2: Yes, high school sororities and fraternities exist, and both Maryland and Sam were part of them.
0: Sam, I wanted to tell you, I love you. Me too. Oh, Sam, really? You're not just saying that.
5: (laughs) Really? Sorry, I just... I never told a girl I loved her before. But I'm glad you're the one. Here, take this.
0: Your fraternity pin? Does this mean what I think it means?
1: I'm pinning you, Marilyn Reese. In those days, pinning a girl usually meant you were engaged. So Sam and Marilyn had committed to being together forever, but then came college.
2: In the fall of 1941, Marilyn left Ohio for upstate New York to study at Skidmore College, a woman's liberal arts school. Marilyn and Sam's love thrived through letters. They wrote each other daily, and Sam's friends even nicknamed him Skidmore.
4: What you got,
5: Skidmore? Another letter from your old lady? Knock it off. There's nothing better than one of Marilyn's letters.
1: But soon, it became clear that Marilyn was deeply unhappy, especially whenever Sam forgot to write a letter.
0: Yesterday, I was quite worried and scared. I didn't get a letter from you. It's the first time this has happened, so you can see how I felt.
2: Skidmore should have been perfect for a smart, privileged girl like Marilyn, but she called it a jail and did poorly in her classes.
1: After freshman year, Marilyn dropped out, returned to Cleveland, and got a clerical job. Her mother's death and father's absence had primed Marilyn for a fear of abandonment, and it's clear she was terrified at the thought of Sam leaving her too.
2: But this time, in 1942, Sam was set to graduate high school and faced his own difficult choices about the future.
1: Sam was torn between college and serving his country in World War II. His brothers, Richard and Stephen, who are around four and seven years older, had become osteopaths like their dad. Sam knew he was expected to do the same.
3: Son, the best way for you to serve your country is to become a doctor. You're too gifted to get blown up. But my friends are going.
5: And Marilyn's cousin got his medical school tuition paid for by the Army, and he's
3: always bragging that... Then let your friends go to war. If they make it back home, they're going to need a doctor like you to put them back together. In
2: 1942, Sam enrolled at his parents' and brother's alma mater, Hanover College, in Indiana he immersed himself in pre-med courses and his role as starter on the Hanover football team.
1: Meanwhile, in Cleveland, Marilyn started dating other men, but this wasn't a betrayal because she asked for Sam's permission.
2: In high school, Sam knew how many other boys would die for a date with Marilyn. Now that Sam was away at college, he wrote to Marilyn and encouraged her to explore her options.
5: Marilyn, you should get out and have a good time. I want you to, but I don't want you to date all the time and I want you to be careful about what you do and who you go out with.
1: Now, Sam was still crazy about Marilyn and wanted to marry her.
2: Maybe that's why Marilyn dated other men. She knew that at the end of the day, Sam would still be there to build a future with her.
1: But soon the tables would turn. In 1943, Sam went home for the summer to take classes at Cleveland's Western Reserve University. It was a chance for him to get three years of college credits in two years.
2: It was also a chance for him to start dating Rudy Bales, a girl he knew from high school. Marilyn was not pleased.
0: It's one thing to date when we're in different states, but you're supposed to be home for the summer with me. Sam Shepard, you can have your stupid fraternity pin back.
2: Marilyn was inconsolable, so Sam asked her to take him back.
1: Just in time for their love to become an even longer-distance one. In the fall of 1944, Sam enrolled at the Los Angeles Osteopathic School of Physicians and Surgeons, where his brothers had gone.
2: Life was lonely in L.A. for Sam, and he wrote to Marilyn every day. He begged her to move out to California so that they could get married.
1: The couple learned that Sam's dad and Marilyn's dad would soon both be in LA at the same time for business trips.
2: Figuring that it was the perfect time to get their father's approval and bring the families together, Sam and Marilyn set a wedding date.
1: In February of 1945, Sam and Marilyn got married at the First Hollywood Methodist Church. They were both 21 years old.
2: Marilyn got a job as a part-time assistant in a research lab. In her spare time, she devoted herself to helping Sam excel at medical school by typing up his reports and quizzing him before exams.
1: At first, L.A. was exciting. Sam and Marilyn enjoyed swimming and tennis and dove headfirst into an exciting social scene with the work-hard, play-hard doctors at Sam's school.
2: Of course, they drove a convertible.
1: In Ohio, Sam was straight-laced and barely drank or smoked in L.A., He was known for his racy jokes, pipe smoking, and drinking. This worried Sam's father,
2: Richard. Perhaps to offset their West Coast debauchery, Richard urged Sam and Marilyn to have a baby, in a very straightforward manner.
3: Son, if you start a family, I'll increase your monthly allowance to match whatever Marilyn's making at her little
1: part-time job. Sam and Marilyn agreed though Marilyn must have had some anxiety about it. After all, her mother had died in childbirth.
2: Marilyn's first pregnancy did end in a miscarriage, sometime in 1945 or 1946, but the couple got luckier on their second try. Samuel Reese Shepard, known as Chip, was born in May, 1947, right around the time Sam did his residency in neurosurgery under the guidance of Dr. Randall Chapman at L.A. County Hospital.
1: Sam was only 23, but he was happily married with a son, and his career was on the rise. Life was good.
2: But for 24-year-old Marilyn, things were tough. Chip's birth was difficult, and given that Marilyn had had a distant father and a deceased mother, she had a lot of anxiety about parenting.
1: Before the baby, Marilyn was a 20-something who enjoyed smoking, drinking, and going out with Sam and their friends.
2: Now she was stuck at home struggling to master housekeeping and motherhood, which her wealthy, motherless past hadn't prepared her for. It took a toll on their marriage.
1: Sam later said that when he was home, Marilyn was utterly uninterested in sex or affection with Sam.
2: But when he left for long shifts at the hospital, Marilyn had panic attacks about being left alone, and she feared Sam was cheating on her.
1: The stress of becoming a wife and mother made Marilyn a wreck.
2: But despite her state of mind, Marilyn was also 100% right. Sam was having an affair.
1: We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And, of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com Prime to get more out of whatever you're into.
3: This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic.
2: Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And now, let's continue our story.
1: By all appearances, Sam Shepard and Marilyn Reese Shepard were a happy couple living in Los Angeles.
2: The birth of their son in May of 1947 changed little in Sam's vivacious life. But it turned Marilyn into a nervous wreck. She became reclusive against her will and felt helpless as she watched Sam continue to indulge in a promiscuous lifestyle.
1: Sam had a high sex drive and a seemingly passionless wife, but at work he was surrounded by female colleagues who he spent long hours with.
2: Encouraged by the notoriously adulterous Dr. Chapman, Sam had a string of flings with nurses, instructors, and doctor's wives.
1: That started in the late 1940s, right around the time that Sam sent Marilyn on several trips back to Ohio allegedly, so family and friends could help with the baby and take some pressure off of her.
2: Marilyn probably did need more support than Sam could give, but the trips also may have been a ploy to get her out of the house so that he could keep sleeping his way through the hospitals of L.A.
1: His affair with a woman named Margaret became so all-consuming that he eventually confessed to Marilyn. She was heartbroken.
5: I'll leave that up to you, Marilyn.
2: Marilyn could have gotten a divorce, but that was no easy thing for a woman back then, especially one with a very young child.
1: So Marilyn decided to get her own version of revenge against Sam by telling his father, Richard, all about his affairs. Marilyn, what's wrong? Is it the
2: baby?
0: No. It's Sam. You need to know what he's doing in California.
2: When Sam went to Cleveland to visit Marilyn in the summer of 1950, his family confronted him. It was a tense intervention, but it let Marilyn and Sam discuss their issues in the open. Eventually, they reconciled.
1: Perhaps in an effort to avoid future mishaps, Sam's family urged the couple to move back home. Sam,
2: you had your fun
3: in the sun, but it's time to settle down. Bayview Hospital is thriving. I built this place as my legacy and you need to be here to uphold it with your brothers.
5: I know, Dad, but I have a life out here.
3: You'll have a better one at home. Maybe in a house on the lake? Uh,
5: Well, that would be nice.
2: Sam and Marilyn wanted to start over, and it was clear that Los Angeles had brought them nothing but heartache.
1: So in May 1951, Sam, Marilyn, and their son moved back to Ohio. Richard Shepard loaned Sam and Marilyn the money to buy their first home, right on Lake Erie.
0: Oh, look at this view.
3: Now I know this house is old, but the inside's been modernized. Four bedrooms, in case the family gets a little bigger. Well, I'd sure love that. And guess what, Sam? It's only a five minute drive to work.
5: Guess I'll never get away from you now, Dad.
2: Sam and Marilyn's new house was supposed to be their forever home. But their new beginning was the beginning of the end. And soon the perfect facade of their marriage would crack again.
1: Just three years later, the lake house's walls would be stained with Marilyn's blood while Sam went on trial for her murder.
0: Morning, how was your swim?
5: Well, it's not the Pacific Ocean, but I still feel like a million bucks.
0: Got time for breakfast?
5: Can't, early appointment at Bayview. I'll grab whatever the lab tech girls are eating. Sometimes they bring in donuts.
0: Sounds really healthy, Dr. Sam.
2: Sam and Marilyn adjusted to life in Bay Village. Work kept Sam busy while Marilyn stayed home to cook, clean, and raise Sam Jr. and the family dog, Coco.
1: She also taught Bible classes at the local Methodist church, went bowling, golfing, and even dabbled in ballroom dancing. All in all, Marilyn was known to be a vivacious addition to the Bay.
2: Marilyn could be a housewife while still making time for her own pursuits. Sam's family was nearby to help, and Sam's job meant Marilyn could afford a part-time housekeeper. She was still often home alone, but now the home was nicer, her child was older, and she had a support system.
1: The Shepherds also used the services of a handyman, Richard Eberling, who was known to be a little peculiar.
3: Morning, Mrs. Shepherd. Morning, Chip.
0: Hi there, Richard. Did you need something?
3: No, just saying hi.
0: Hi again? Well, I've got to get Chip off to a doctor's appointment, so...
3: Chip is lucky to have such a nice mommy.
0: B-b- thank you... I'll, I'll see you later.
2: Despite occasional oddities like Eberling's behavior, the shepherds were happy at the bay. They became friends with influential neighbors like bay village mayor Spencer Houck.
1: Together, the shepherds and the Houcks bought a boat and they taught the whole neighborhood how to water ski.
2: When they weren't on Lake Erie, they hosted parties and potluck dinners at their house. The Shepherds became especially close with Don and Nancy Ahern, another young couple with kids.
1: It seemed like the trouble at home was finally over.
2: But in 1951, new trouble came from Bayview Hospital in the form of attractive 21 year old medical technician Susan Hayes, who frequently got rides to work from Sam. I don't
4: want to bother you, Dr. Shepherd, but. I've got these lab results back, if you wanted to go over them.
5: Of course. So, do you want to go over them here in my office?
4: It seems like your office would be the most appropriate.
5: True, but your apartment would be the most fun.
4: (laughs) Dr. Sam, you're insatiable. Actually, no one's using exam room three, and that's a lot closer than my apartment. (laughs) A lot bigger, too.
5: Now who's the insatiable one, Susan?
1: The affair happened on and off from 1951 to 1953, and everybody gossiped about it. Maybe Sam would have been more cautious if he'd known the gossip would play a major role when he stood on trial for Marilyn's murder.
2: Marilyn turned a blind eye to this open secret, but sometimes Sam's indiscretions were unavoidable. Things got tense at a Halloween party Marilyn attended at Bayview Hospital. Well,
1: Sam ignored Marilyn and danced and flirted with Susan all night, a sight made stranger by the fact that Sam was dressed as a woman in a monkey mask and Susan was dressed as one of the four Shepherd doctors that ran the hospital.
2: Richard A. Shepherd and his sons, Stephen, Sam, and Richard N. Shepherd, were a huge deal in Bay Village, and their hospital employed a significant amount of the suburbs' residents.
1: You'd think this power and visibility would make Sam nervous about his indiscretions, but maybe he just felt invincible.
2: Mims Adler, a doctor's wife, recalled checking up on Marilyn.
0: Marilyn, I'm so sorry. I know this is all a little uncomfortable. Look at him. There goes the playboy of the Western world.
1: <laughs> Marilyn left without causing a scene, but it was clear how hurt she was. Clear enough that another doctor's wife very publicly called Susan some nasty names.
2: Maybe our first instinct isn't to be sympathetic, but remember Susan was barely in her 20s when Sam, a powerful and charming superior, swept her off her feet.
1: Mm, Sleeping with him may have endangered her reputation, but maybe rejecting him would have ruined her career.
2: Around 1952, Susan took another job nearby in downtown Cleveland. Some say she was encouraged to take it by Sam's father, in an effort to keep his hospital and his son free of scandal.
1: Susan dated another doctor and almost married him, but even during her engagement, she still had occasional flings with Sam.
2: Susan's fiance broke off their engagement in 1953, perhaps due to the knowledge about her affair with Sam. Susan realized she'd carry a whiff of scandal with her wherever she went in Cleveland.
1: So in late 1953, Susan packed up and moved to Los Angeles. Now, maybe it was a coincidence, lots of people head west for a fresh start. But Los Angeles was where Sam used to live.
2: And where, in March of 1954, Sam went for a business trip with Marilyn he went to complete training for his neurosurgery certification under his old mentor and fellow adulterer, Dr. Randall Chapman. Sam sent Marilyn up to stay with Randall's wife at their home in Big Sur.
1: As soon as Marilyn left, Sam called up Susan to resume their affair. Sam was staying with a friend in L.A., Dr. Miller. Even though Miller knew Marilyn, that didn't stop Sam from having Susan spend her nights at Miller's house, too.
2: She was Sam's constant companion, despite the fact that she was interacting with all of Sam's doctor friends, who knew Marilyn.
1: It made Poker Night at Miller's house very uncomfortable.
2: This is so bizarre.
4: He's just cavorting with this strange woman in front of all of us. Poor Marilyn. Somebody really ought to let her know. Can that somebody be you? I feel like the only thing less comfortable than this situation would be telling Marilyn about it. Well, maybe we can just give a lot of disapproving looks tonight. Mm, Sounds like a plan.
2: Sam even took Susan to San Diego as his date for a colleague's wedding. When she lost her watch, he bought her a white gold Lady Elgin watch as a replacement. It cost $71, or $650 in today's money.
1: But soon, it was time for Sam to say goodbye to Susan again. Promise me you'll write me at the office?
4: This is always how it's gonna be for us, isn't it, Sam? Look, I'm a fool, but I'm not naive. You're never gonna leave Marilyn.
5: She's a good wife and mother. Sometimes I think I could throw it all away. But with my job and my family, it'd be so complicated.
2: But what about me?
5: Please say you'll write.
2: Sam apparently made up his mind to stop fooling around. He went back to Ohio with Marilyn, ready to make 1954 a great year for their marriage.
1: Until, of course, Susan wrote to Sam a few months later.
2: Susan followed Sam's instructions to write him at the office. But in a twist of fate, receptionist Donna Bailey opened the letter, thinking it was official hospital correspondence.
1: She realized it was a love letter and told her husband, Dr. Robert Bailey. He told Sam, who asked Donna to be more careful sorting the office mail.
2: It seemed like he got away with it, until he realized he and Marilyn were invited to a birthday party at Robert and Donna's apartment.
1: Well, maybe Sam worried that Donna would spill the beans to Marilyn, so... He told Marilyn about it before Donna could.
2: If he thought that it would help calm things down, he was wrong.
1: Marilyn had recently helped Sam file some of his business expenses and had found the receipt for the watch he bought Susan.
2: Marilyn was furious. While it's unclear if she knew it was for Susan, she was still hurt that someone else had gotten this gift.
0: A white gold watch? like I've always wanted?
5: Marilyn, can we please not get into this? It was a business gift.
0: Last Christmas, you gave me cash. That's the same thing you probably gave our handyman, Richard.
5: All right, but remember when I got us that motor for the boat?
0: Oh, right, a motor. Just what every gal has on her Christmas list.
1: Tensions were already high, and Marilyn took action at the party at the Bailey's apartment in April 1954.
2: When Sam stepped away, Marilyn cornered Donna and Robert.
0: Sam's done it again, hasn't he? Marilyn, let's let's have a drink and go chat with... Donna, I'm done keeping my mouth shut. Sam has hurt me as much as he possibly could, and now it's my turn to hurt him back. I'm going to drag his name through the mud, and I'm going to watch him suffer, and I'm going to enjoy it. But I need that letter. Or another, and I'm sure there'll be another... I need evidence. Marilyn, Dr. Shepard is my boss. I don't mean to put you in this position, Donna, but I'm just, I'm at my wit's end. It's all right. I'll do it some other way.
1: It seemed like Marilyn was finally about to do something about her marriage, but then something happened that changed everything.
2: Their post-California reconciliation in March may have been short-lived. But it had one lasting effect.
1: In the spring of 1954, Marilyn Shepard realized she was pregnant.
2: Our story will continue in a moment, after the break.
1: And now, back to the story.
0: Nancy, that's enough powder. It's just dinner at the club. We can't all be natural beauties.
4: I love your dress, by the way.
0: Thanks. Thanks. You don't think it's a little bit... snug? No, Marilyn, it fits fine. Are you sure? I fill it out quite well, don't you think? Huh? Marilyn, what are you getting at? I'm pregnant! Chip will be a big brother by November. Oh! That is such great news! You and Sam must be so happy. Yes, it's... I think it'll be really wonderful for us.
2: If Marilyn was happy for the chance to heal her marriage, Sam was decidedly underwhelmed.
1: According to Dr. Robert Bailey, Sam gave a rather blunt answer when Bailey congratulated him.
5: Sam, congratulations. I heard the news about the bun
2: in the oven. Well, that's what happens when you don't wear a condom. So it's clear Sam and Marilyn still had issues to work out.
1: But as they broke the news to friends and family over the early summer of 1954, there was a sense that things were getting better.
2: Saturday, July 3rd seemed like it was going to be a typical summer day for the Shepherds, in both good and bad ways.
1: Well, the bad came from Sam's job. That day had been a particularly tough one after a young boy was brought in, on the verge of death after being hit by a truck. Sam cut his chest open to massage his heart back to life.
4: Dr. Shepard, Dr. Shepard, it's been minutes.
2: I have to keep trying. But there was nothing he could do. He'd obviously dealt with this kind of tragedy before, but it never got easier.
1: It's important to remember that beyond his hurtful behavior toward Marilyn, Sam was a very hard-working doctor.
2: He doesn't seem like a particularly likable person. But he undoubtedly saved a lot of lives and made a lot of people grateful.
1: It must have been a relief to leave the office and head home where the good part of the day could start. He and Marilyn had dinner plans with their friends Don and Nancy Ahern.
2: The evening started at the Ahern house, where the two couples and their kids gathered for drinks. It was the start of a lazy, boozy summer night
1: until Sam got a call to return to the hospital to deal with an emergency a young boy with a broken femur.
5: Say, Nancy, you got a breath mint or something? I really don't
1: want to show up to work smelling like cocktail hour.
4: Hmm, I don't think so, but I've got a clove you could chew on.
1: Sam chewed a clove to hide the booze on his breath, returned to work to deal with the boy's injury, and then went back to the Ahern's house.
2: The group headed to Sam and Marilyn's house for dinner. The kids were fed first, and then the adults ate out on the porch.
1: For a dessert, Marilyn baked a blueberry pie, Sam's favorite.
2: After Don Ahern went home to put his kids to bed, and the shepherds put Sam Jr. to bed, the adults reconvened. It was before
1: 11 p.m., and, both being young couples, they wanted to keep their little party going.
0: Oh, I have an idea. What if we went to the movies? That sounds fun. Yes, boys, let's do that.
1: Do you think we can get a sitter this late?
5: On such short notice?
0: probably not. Maybe there's a good movie on TV?
1: The group watched Strange Holiday, a 1945 film about a man, played by Claude Rains, who returns to America from a fishing trip to discover the country had been taken over by a fascist force.
2: It was the story of a man returning to a familiar place that was suddenly, terrifyingly different. Not unlike what would happen to Sam when he awoke after the dinner party.
1: For the first part of the film, Sam and Marilyn shared an armchair. It was the picture of domestic bliss.
2: But Sam was exhausted after his busy day at work, so partway through the movie, he moved to a nearby sofa to nap.
1: Maybe if he'd known it was the last night he'd see his wife alive, he would have stayed up a little longer. According to Nancy, Marilyn tried to wake Sam.
0: Sam. Sam, wake up. See the rest of the movie. It might be good.
2: Oh, it's not going to be good. But Sam just shut his eyes and went right back to sleep. Apparently, no one was enjoying the film anyway. So maybe Sam had the right idea.
1: Later, as the credits rolled, the Aherns noticed that Marilyn was having trouble keeping her eyes open.
2: Still, ever the attentive hostess, she perked up to see them out and said her unwitting final goodbyes. It was quick and insignificant, as Nancy noted in her police testimony.
4: Um, Then Mrs. Shepard saw us to the door. And I'm sorry now that we didn't see whether the door was locked or not when she shut it, but you don't do those things when you figure there's a man in the house.
1: There's some 1950s sexist thinking at play here, but these families did live in an affluent and safe neighborhood. Why worry?
2: We don't know if Marilyn tried to rouse Sam to get him to bed. Maybe she didn't want to disturb him, knowing that after his long day, good sleep was good sleep, even on a couch.
1: Or maybe she wanted to sleep alone. The couple already slept in separate beds in the same room. Sam was the husband and father to her children, but he had also put her through a rough time. She could play the part of a supportive wife with friends, but maybe things were different when the parties were over.
2: In any case, Marilyn Shepherd went up to bed. Her dog and her firstborn son fast asleep, and her husband downstairs. The night was done.
1: But the terror was just beginning. Here's what happened next, according to Sam Shepard's statements to the police the next morning. Sam!
2: Sam! On the 4th of July, Sam was ripped from his sleep around 4.30 a.m. by Marilyn screaming his name from the bedroom upstairs.
1: Sam charged upstairs into the bedroom, where he saw a white-clad figure with, as he put it, bushy hair. The person's identity was masked in the darkness, but Sam grappled with him anyway.
2: Sam was knocked out. He couldn't recall for how long, but he came to consciousness on his bedroom floor, as Sam stated in a police interview.
5: I looked at my wife, I
1: believe I took her pulse and felt she was gone. After that, Sam rushed into his son's room to check on him, but he was fast asleep. Then, Sam heard a noise from downstairs.
2: Sam chased the intruder out of the house and down to the beach. There, they had another physical struggle.
1: Sam felt a twisting sensation, like the intruder was choking him before losing consciousness again.
2: Sam awoke half in the water and missing his shirt. He assumed that he most likely lost it in a fight that he had with the intruder.
1: What happened next was a dizzy blur for Sam as he went back home.
5: Uh, I became, or thought I was, disoriented and and the victim of a bizarre dream. And I believe I paced in and out of the room, and possibly into one of the other rooms. I may have re-examined her, finally realizing this was true. I believe I went through the kitchen into my study, searching for a name, uh, or a number, or what to do.
2: Uh,
3: uh, Hello? Spencer! My god! Get over here quick. I I think they've killed Marilyn.
2: That's when Spencer and Esther Houck got the call to go to their friend Sam's house, where they discovered Sam shirtless and bloodstained.
1: And Marilyn, beaten to death in her bed. Her pajama top had been pulled up and her pajama pants had been pulled down. Her face was beaten to an unrecognizable pulp, and the walls were covered in flecks of her blood.
2: As family and police slowly overtook his home, Sam had to contend with the fact that his life had changed forever. The 4th of July had become Sam Shepard's very own strange holiday.
1: The first officer on the scene at the Shepard home was 26-year-old Fred Drinken. At 5.57 a.m., he stepped inside and surveyed the chaos.
2: Drinken was a traffic cop and didn't realize he'd be stepping into what would be one of the most infamous cases of the 20th century.
1: Here's what Drinken saw. On the floor in the entry hall was Sam's black medical bag. Its contents, including pills and prescription pads, spilled out. In the living room, drawers were removed from a desk.
2: Sam was in the den, still disoriented. Drinken noticed two broken trophies on the ground a bowling trophy of Maryland's, and one of Sam's trophies from his high school track days. Presumably, the intruder had broken these, but no clear motive was apparent yet.
1: As Drinken called in for reinforcements, Richard and Shepard arrived. That's Sam's brother, not to be confused with his father, Richard A. Shepard.
2: In the commotion, Esther Houck offered to take young Chip home, but Richard insisted that he come to his house.
1: Esther woke Chip, who was a deep sleeper like his dad. He was only seven and had slept through the entire ordeal.
2: Meanwhile, the tragic news spread through the Bay Village police force. It was a shock. Not only did they pride themselves on their town's safety, but they also knew that this would cause shockwaves.
1: The Shepherd Hospital was the town's biggest employer, So this was a sensitive, high-profile case.
2: Which is why it's ironic that the crime scene was handled so poorly. Take the presence of Otto Graham, for example.
1: Otto Graham was the Cleveland Browns star quarterback and Bay Village's local celebrity. He was also friendly with the Shepherds.
2: So, when Otto drove past the shepherd home on the way to get his morning paper and saw the police, he figured he'd check it out.
1: The star-struck police let him in to show him the crime scene. Otto got the shock of his life, as he later described to a local paper.
3: Oh, my God. It looked like someone stood in the middle of the room with a great big can of red paint and a brush and flicked it all around. This wasn't a
2: couple of blows. Oh, no. Whoever did it, They had to be
3: out of their mind
2: even if he was a friend it's mind-blowing that the police just let an nfl quarterback waltz into a crime scene to see what was up
1: Mm, another example of flawed policing was the fact that they let sam leave the crime scene without questioning
2: downstairs sam's brother stephen and his wife betty arrived at first Hearing of a homicide and seeing Sam on the ground, pale and immobile, they thought Sam had died.
1: Upon realizing Sam was alive, in shock, and most likely had a fractured neck, Stephen ordered an ambulance to take his brother to Bayview.
2: Ironically, this may have been the first thing to rub the police the wrong way. Of course, the shepherds were trying to help Sam. Uh,
1: But consider the optics. A wealthy, influential doctor is found at the scene of his wife's murder and quickly taken away by his equally wealthy and influential brothers to be privately cared for in the family-owned hospital.
2: You could argue that it was simply an act of brotherly love.
1: But you could also see it as a way for the shepherds to buy some time and get their brother's story straight.
2: Back at the house, Bay Village Police Chief John P. Eaton surveyed the scene and began to piece together a possible motive.
1: Knowing Sam's profession and noting that the desk and Sam's medical bag had been ransacked, Eaton supposed Marilyn's murder was the result of a drug robbery.
2: A theory which makes some sense. Sam was an affluent doctor who surely might have kept some good drugs at home.
1: Maybe the robber had gone up to search for drugs in the bedroom and Marilyn tried to stop him. Panicked and desperate for a fix, the robber then killed her.
2: Whatever the motive, it was clear that this was a case that required the big guns to help investigate. Chief Eaton had no choice but to call in the Cuyahoga County Coroner, Dr. Samuel Gerber.
1: And this other Dr. Sam arrived on the scene and immediately chose to pursue a different lead.
2: In Ohio at this time, coroners handled suspicious deaths, and the public elected these coroners to the position.
1: 56-year-old Gerber enjoyed being in the public eye, He'd been coroner for over 20 years, and his office investigated about 150 deaths a year. Each case usually came with some attention from the press.
2: But Gerber liked media attention and made sure to make each reporter feel like they were getting the tips and updates before anyone else.
1: As a publicly elected doctor, Gerber was a bit of a politician, too. He planned to eventually run for mayor of Cleveland.
2: Though short, gray-haired, and bespectacled, Gerber was also quite confident. Some say to the point of arrogance. This arrogance would explain his supervision of Detective Michael Grabowski, who arrived on the scene to investigate.
1: Despite the atrocities at the crime scene, Grabowski spent at most about two hours investigating. He did a cursory test for fingerprints, but was unable to find a clear enough print to submit for evidence.
2: But maybe that didn't matter. His supervisor, Dr. Gerber, had already come to his own conclusions about the murder.
3: Dr. Gerber, what have you found? I can't find a weapon, but the trail of blood goes all the way from the bedroom, down the stairs, through the house, and out the porch door. So that lines up with Dr. Shepherd's account. Hmm, possibly. The thief could have stashed the weapon somewhere. If there was a thief, Well, the mess in the house certainly seems to indicate- All it indicates to me is that whoever did this certainly wanted us to think it was a robbery. But there's no forced entry. And look at those drawers they pulled out of the desk. They're so neatly stacked, like someone took their time with it. And if I were a robber, I probably wouldn't. What are you saying here? I'm saying I'd like you to take me to Bayview Hospital, so we can try and get a confession from Sam Shepard. Are you saying he killed his wife? That's what we're going to find out.
1: It seems hard to believe that Sam truly loved Marilyn. If so, why did he cheat on her constantly and make her miserable?
2: But maybe that question doesn't matter. Just because he cheated on her doesn't mean he killed her. And yet, Sam almost immediately was the prime suspect in the case.
1: His history of sexual indiscretion soon took center stage in a baffling trial that prioritized rumor and scandal over evidence. And much like in Sam and Marilyn's marriage, a third party muddied the waters and possibly dictated the outcome of this already complex case.
2: That third party?
1: The American media.
2: They led a charge in the sensational trial, which ignored evidence in favor of scandal and gossip, a trial that ended in a life sentence for Sam Shepard.
1: Despite that life sentence, the murder of Marilyn Shepard remains unsolved. Because even though Marilyn was dead, her case was just beginning. It was a case that would span decades with as many twists and turns as the tumultuous relationship between Sam and Marilyn Shepard. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
2: Again, thank you so much for listening.
1: We'll see you next time.
2: If we live till next time.
1: Unsolved Murder's True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admar and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Amin Osman and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Kimberly Holland, Nick Masu, Sarah Miller-Cruz, and Steve Pinto.